Everybody? Hi. Hi. Um, just really a great pleasure and privilege for me to be here tonight again. And I don't know how many times I've been here in our different iterations as a as a church. Uh, I think this is the second time I've been here with you in this building. I'm really thankful to be able to be here tonight and to open God's word with you. Um, we're going to do that in just a minute, but I do want to send my greetings from Hope Oakville. I'm sure Carl did the same thing last week, and you'll get it again next week when Brandon's here, but we just want you to know we pray for you often, and we are very much, our heart is very full when we are here. We're glad to be here to see you, to think what the Lord has done over the last number of years, what he's going to continue to do, and we continue to pray for you individually, as a, you know, collectively as a group, but we're praying for your gospel witness as well here in the city of Ottawa, because we know the city of Ottawa needs strong gospel witnesses, right? Right? Amen. Amen. Yes, he does. Yes, he does. And so we want to pray that this church will be one of those, one of those places where people can come and they can hear about Jesus Christ. So I want to pray for us before we begin, and then uh, we'll start. So let's pray. Father, we have uh, sung some very, very important words tonight, and we have uh, learned uh, about the gospel. We've sung about the gospel. We have expressed the gospel as we have gone through communion together. There is so much that we have done tonight that has honored and glorified you. And Lord, we want so much now our time in the word to be the same kind of act of worship towards you. Lord, would you receive what we're about to do as an act of worship? I pray that I would be able to worship you by proclaiming your truth, and I pray that the rest of us here will be able to worship you by listening to the truth. And Lord, then as we listen and as we proclaim the truth, I pray that your spirit would do what only your spirit can do. Take your words of life that are in the text and actually go into our souls and express to us and show us the things that we need to be paying attention to. See, this is what we believe about the scriptures, Lord, that the scriptures are alive. They are your words. They're your words for us. So now we place ourselves underneath the authority of those words, knowing that in those words is life, Life, power, encouragement, exhortation. So God, we pray that we receive them with open hearts, and we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Right, we're going to be in James chapter 4 tonight. If you are here and you do not have a copy of God's Word, why don't you just put your hand up, and we'll give you a copy of God's Word. Here's somebody right here. If you... Um, if you don't have a Bible at home, you can be free to keep that Bible. If not, you can, you can return that at the end of the, end of the service tonight, but you can do that. And look at page 587. So 587 will be where we are tonight. We're in James chapter 4, and we're going to look at verses 13 through 17. Now, I don't need to remind you that um, life is challenging. How many of you know that life is challenging, right? So yes, we got, I've got a room full of people that believe that life is challenging. I don't need to remind you of that. It's not, it's, not that it's, not, it's not like it's always bad. Life's not always bad, but it is challenging. It's not that simple to navigate the decisions that we have to make or the opportunities that come across our pathways or the choices that we have to make. I think of our kids or our students who are coming to the end of a school year. Yay, right? School year is over. We're excited about the fact that the school year is over, but some of you maybe uh, older students are thinking about, well, I don't, like, I don't have a summer job yet. I need a summer job. I, want, I really want to be able to work. I'm not sure what that summer job is going to be. Or some of you, maybe you're going to summer camp this summer, and you're a little nervous about the whole summer camp thing. You're not sure what that's going to be like, and so uh, you're a little anxious about that. Or some of you, maybe you're graduating from grade 8, and you're going into grade 9 next year, and you're wondering, okay, uh, you know, I'm about to enter into high school. I've never done that before. I'm not exactly sure what's going on, right? Life's challenging. 
Uh, or maybe you're a parent here and you've just spent the, another week of driving your kids around, right? From here to there and everywhere. At least it seemed like that. Or you, you're juggling your work schedules or you're trying to check off your list, grocery list, to-do list. You have stress in your relationships. You've experienced that. Maybe even today you experience stress in your relationships. And you're asking questions like, am I doing enough for my kids? Am I helping them navigate the world that they're living in? And then there's people that are in my age bracket, not many of you here, but some of you will be in this age bracket later on where you spend another week wondering about the changing economy. Do I actually have enough money to live on through retirement? Some of you who are younger are asking questions like, will I ever be able to own a house? Some of you are facing ongoing challenges with your physically or you're trying to navigate the pace of a changing world. I'm telling you, life is challenging, right? It's challenging. How are we supposed to live our everyday lives with all its questions, all its problems, the stress that we face, the new opportunities that come across our pathway, the decisions we have to make, the next steps we're supposed to take? How am I supposed to live this out? Well, we need wisdom is what we need. We need wisdom. And the book of James is known as the New Testament book of Proverbs, like the New Testament book of Proverbs. If you ask yourself, okay, where do I go to get wisdom? Most people would say, go to the book of Proverbs. Well, James actually is kind of written like the book of Proverbs. It's full of wisdom. It's a unique, unique book. And when we come to hear James chapter 4, verses 13 through 17, we're going to see some wisdom that's going to help us in how we navigate life together. And I know you're hungry for that because I'm hungry for that. I need to know how I'm supposed to face the uncertainty and the challenges of, the, of life. And this is what I found to be true. This is our big idea for tonight. It's this, that many times, many times when we face the uncertainty of life, we place our trust in ourselves and we try to take control of the situation when we should be trusting in God who's always in control of the situation. So let's read James chapter 4, verses 13 through 17. It's a really interesting few verses. James says this, he says, in verse 13 of James chapter 4, Come now, you who say, Today or tomorrow we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Instead you ought to say, If the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. So whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him it is a sin. James tells us right off the top, here's our first point. If you're taking notes, I'd encourage you to write this down. He tells us this in this passage, that some of us have a misplaced confidence in ourselves. He tells us that in verses 13 and 14 and verse 16. He's addressing a group of people who are relying on their own energy, their own efforts, their own initiative, their own insight, their own ingenuity, their own creativity, their ability to create their own plans to navigate everyday life. You see in verse 13, you see the plan they had? This is so, you gotta under, this is so, so specific to life situation. You're gonna see yourself in this in just a minute. Look at what he says in chapter four, verse 13. He says, he calls these people out. Come now, you who say. So he's looking out at the church auditorium. Okay, I don't know, the church. He's looking out at his church and he's saying, there's a group of you that are saying this. Well, what are they saying? He's, they're saying, today or tomorrow we'll go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit. There's a group of business people in the church. They are perhaps thinking about expanding their business or maybe they're starting a new business. 
but they have come up with a foolproof plan that will obviously result in good results. They've made their pitch. It's like they're, you almost envision them in front of the boardroom, you know, making their pitch about this business deal that they're about to make. And they're super confident that it worked. They have their charts out, they have their pictures out, and they've got these steps that they're telling people that they're going to take. Do you see the steps in the text? Look in verse 13. What's the first step? First step is, well, today or tomorrow, we're going to go into such and such a town. So they don't even name the town, right? There's this, they, they've, got, they've got this, it's like they've got this plan that will work in any town. It doesn't really matter what town it is. It could be Moose Jaw, it could be Calgary, it could be Toronto, it could be Ottawa. It doesn't matter. We've got this foolproof plan down. We're going to go into, this t- into such and such a town. That's what we're going to do. It's going to work anywhere. Step two, what do you do? Well, we're going to spend a certain amount of time in that town or in that city. We know how long it's going to take. We're going to spend a year, they say, there. That's step two. So step one is they identify where they're going to go. And oh, by the way, it doesn't really matter where we're going to go because wherever we were to go, we would do this thing and it's going to work anyways. We'll spend a year there. And then what are you going to do while you're spending a year there? Well, here's step three. Do you see it in verse 13? You're going to spend a year there and they're going to do what? They're going to trade, right? I don't know about you. That doesn't sound like a really awesome plan, but like it's not really specific. I think that's how they're just so into the plan so much. Like we're just going to trade. We've got this stuff. We're going to trade it with people. And then step four is what? <coughs> What's step four? Look at verse 13. What, is it, what happens? They make a profit. We're going to make a boatload of cash. Step one, we'll figure out what city we're going to go to. Step two, we're going to spend a year there. Step three, we'll trade. And step four, we'll make a lot of money. Now, I don't know about you, but I would have a lot of questions. That sounds a little too general, generic to me. But that's how confident they are in their plan. They're super, super confident in their plan. All, they believe that all they have to do is work this plan, run the play. All you got to do is run the play. Now, you know, every once in a while, you're going to meet someone who's really confident in their plan, like super confident in their plan. I don't know if you've ever met someone like that, but there are people out there, I, I, you know, I admire them. I admire almost the audacity to be able to stand up in front of a group of people and say, this is going to work, not a problem. I am so confident in this plan. It's like, over the years, I, Brenda and I, my wife and I, have had the privilege of actually um, going through premarital counseling with numerous couples. And every once in a while, I will come across a couple that will t- actually share with me their five-year plan. Okay, so if you've been married for any length of time at all, you're laughing your head off inside, <laughs> right? And that's exactly what I do when I don't, I don't laugh out loud, but I laugh on the inside when someone comes to me and says, I'm going to... And so every once in a while, I'll just say to them, oh, yeah, you got your five-year plan. Okay, well, just go ahead. Tell me what your five-year plan is going to be. And it, it, usually, it usually sounds something like this. Well, first year, we're, going to, we're both going to get really great-paying jobs, right? We're going to both get really great-paying jobs, right? And, you know, I'm, I'm tempted to say, well, do you have one now? Like, you know, kind of, but they're going to do that. And I'll say, well, well, then what are you going to do? Well, then we're going to travel, then we're going to travel because we have all this money. We're going to travel. I said, oh, okay, that sounds great. Then we're going to buy a house. And, of course, if I heard that now, it would be even more of a, wow, really? Okay. And then around year five, we're going to have our first kid. You know, usually I'm polite. Every once in a while I say, I just got to tell them, like, you know, it might not work like that. It just might not work like that. Because sometimes things don't work out the way that you plan. And this is exactly what James does when he's talking to these people who feel like they have a bulletproof or foolproof plan. 
a foolproof plan that there's, this is absolutely going to work. And so then James basically does, he, he takes their balloon that's full of this confidence, this, all this confidence, and he pokes two holes into their balloon. Do you see what it is? See what they are? Look at verse 14. He introduces to them um, two variables. They're pretty important. Actually, really, really important. And he pokes holes into their confidence in their plans. The first one is, you see that in the beginning of verse 4. He says, 14, yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. Let me say it again. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. James is saying, yeah, I don't understand. You have this plan that you're going to run. You've got this, this, this lockdown kind of plan that you think you have, and yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. He says to them, uh, life is uncertain. It's uncertain. Now, I watch the news every once in a while. I don't do it very often. Some of you probably never watch it at all. Others of you probably live by watching the news every single day. But I'm always intrigued by weather forecasters. <laughs> I always love the segment. It's interesting because everybody watches the news. And many people watch the news just to be able to hear what the weather forecast is going to be. Now, when I was now, I, I have to admit, weather forecasting is way more sophisticated today than it used to be when I was growing up. When I was growing up, I used to think, man, is that guy just looking out the window and kind of making a prediction? And but it's like it is a little more sophisticated. But what I have learned about weather forecasters is that is what they aren't always right. Right? They aren't always right. We might hope that they are right, but they're not always right. The same is true of business forecasting. Do you know that you, there are actually industries that pay people to make forecasts about their businesses? My brother-in-law works with a high-end cell company, a cell phone company. Actually, it's not just a cell phone company. It's much broader than that. He works in a digital, he does digital forecasting. That's what he does. I, I said, man, people actually pay you money to do that? He said, yeah, that's what I do. Well, I said, well, tell me what that's about. He said, well, basically what I just do is I figure out what our competitors are doing. I kind of figure out what they're doing because they're doing the same thing about us. And I look at the trends in society. And then, you know, <clears throat> every culture, every quarter or usually, you know, eight or ten times a year, I'll submit a report to my bosses that'll tell me this is where I think the industry's going. And I say, seriously, somebody pays you money to do that? He says, yeah. I said, how often are you right? I love it. when we, you know, you know, brother, brother-in-law, the brother-in-law relation. Yeah, tell me how many we really, how often are you really right? And he told me he said, you know, uh, not often. Forecasting. Why is forecasting so difficult? Because, because life has built into it uncertainty. You can make an educated guess, but none of us knows what tomorrow will bring. Look at Proverbs chapter 27, verse 1. Proverbs 27, 1 that tells us, Do not boast about tomorrow, for you do not know what a day may bring. Uncertainty is built into life. It's built right into life. And then he goes on and he says, so that's the first hole he pokes into their confidence balloon. If that's not harsh enough to listen to, he goes on and he says this, not only is life uncertain, but it's also brief. He speaks to the brevity of life. You see what he says? What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. You see on the screen here a picture of mist. The morning mist. I love the morning mist, especially in the summertime or the springtime when you, you can get up early enough and you see the mist that's rising up on the fields. Well, guess what happens? The sun rises up into the sky and what happens to the mist? It disappears. It's burned off. It's gone. This is the picture that James is giving to them. He's saying to them, you're, you're, what is your life? 
you are a mist that peers for a little while and then vanishes. Psalm 102 verse 3 says, For my days, pa- day passes away like smoke and my bones burn like a furnace. The same chapter, Psalm 102 verse 11, it says, My days are like an evening shadow. I, will, I wither away like grass. Psalm 90 verse 12 talks about how we're supposed to learn how to count our days. Why are we supposed to learn how to count our days or consider our days? Why is it so important to do that? Because they're brief. They're brief. Now, in your heads, like nothing, nothing that I've said up to this point is like, wow, this is really kind of super new for me. None of this, none of this, all of you in your heads know this is true. You know everything that's been said has been true. I, the, you, you say that. You know you're not going to live forever, right? You know you're not going to live forever. But let me tell you this. Most of us act like we have all the time in the world. You and I have no idea whether we have a year or two or three left, let alone an hour or two or three left. And yet here are these business people in the life of the church who are confident in themselves, they're confident in their plan, but that confidence is unfounded because life is uncertain and life is brief. If you want a real life illustration of everything that I've just said, just think about that sub, that mini sub that took off towards the Titanic this week. Everything that I just said up to this point is rolled into that story. There is a plan. We're going to go, we're going to go down to the floor of the ocean. We're going to see the Titanic. These guys paid all this money to be able to go on this trip. Everything's going to be great. We're going to work the plan. We're going to get down there. We're going to come back. But guess what? Guess what? Life is uncertain. And life is brief. That story reminds us of this biblical truth. So sometimes we have a misplaced confidence in ourselves. Now, the real problem, the real problem here is not, it's not the fact that they had a plan. The real problem is revolves around who they're placing their confidence in. Look at verse 16. We're going to come back to verse 15 in, in just a few minutes, but look at verse 16. He says, as it is, you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. Now, this text, if you want to see a, a breakdown of how this text breaks down, if you just look at, go back to verse 13, he says, Come now, you who say. Do you see how he said that's a marker? He's starting off his verses. Come now, you who say. And then he says in verse 15, instead you ought to say. So there's a contrast between verses 13 and 14 and verse 15. And then he says this in verse 16. As it is, you boast or you're saying this in your arrogance. Verses 16 kind of belongs to verses 13 and 14. He's contrasting two responses. You, you shouldn't say this, and this is what you are saying. You shouldn't say this, but you, are, you ought to say this. Verse 16 summarizes very well what they're doing in verse 13. When they say today or tomorrow, we'll go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit, you're saying, well, what's the problem with that? Why are they, what, what's the big deal about that? The big deal about that is verse 16 tells us what it is. They're boasting in their arrogance. And all such boasting is evil. It's evil. The real issue isn't the fact that they had a plan. The real issue is that they're placing all their confidence in themselves and not in God. Their boasting is in their arrogance, and that shows that they're placing their confidence in themselves. 
Now, our church is, we are celebrating our 20th anniversary this year. This, we're, in our, we're in our 20th year. Hope uh, Oakville is our 20th year. Tomorrow, actually, tomorrow morning, I'm flying out. Lord willing, I'm flying out of here tomorrow morning. Yeah, I know. See, I caught myself. I caught myself. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. All right. All right. Lord willing, I'm flying out. I'm flying out tomorrow morning, early in the morning, to get back to our church. And we're having one service tomorrow. 3,000 people, over 3,000 people on the lawn in front of our building. So if some of you have been to Hope Oakville, you know we have this big lawn out front, and we're having this big, big kind of service tomorrow. I'm really looking forward to it. But it would be super weird. It would be super weird if somebody stood up tomorrow Let's say Pastor Robbie stood up tomorrow or one of the pastors or one of the elders stood up tomorrow and said, looking out at all the people that are on the lawn and said, aren't we awesome? Right, we started so many years ago as this little core group and look at what we've done. We've grown and, you know, we were in that building on Lakeshore many years ago and then we sold that building and we created a plan and, we built this building and we paid our debt off last year and because of us, we've seen so many people baptized and we planted so many churches. Look how amazing we are. Wouldn't that be weird? Yeah, you know, we would oh, we think that would be kind of strange. That would be kind of odd. In fact, if that were to happen, you would, some of you might just kind of get up and walk out. I wouldn't be, uh, wouldn't be surprised if you did that. In fact, it would probably be more than appropriate to do that. But that attitude, that response needs to move, not, not, needs to move beyond Sundays, and it needs to move through uh, Monday through Saturday. Uh, some of you maybe have been in a parent-teacher meeting before. Um, I know when I was when I had my kids and we were going to parent-teacher meetings. I they you know hey you know go to room three sixteen and meet with the meet with the teacher and I go into the room and then all of a sudden the the, the teacher would start raving about my kids. Like your kids are great, you know they're so well behaved, and I, you know, I checked. I had the right room, you know. Like I mean, it's just, uh, these are the same kids. It's always it's kind of encouraging, but it's like it's also like ah, uh, that's not what it's like at my house at five o'clock in the afternoon, you know. And it's like so the teacher's just going on and say, "Wow, well, you're doing an amazing job." You know, if there was an award for parent of the year, I think you should get it. You know, and all these things, and you, you can kind of, you could kind of get like, "Yes, I am." You walking out of the room, strutting back to your car, going, "This is pretty great." You know, if there was a parent, a parent of the year award, it would be mine. This is great. I would be. Am I not amazing? Or, or maybe your, uh, your business has done well this year. You know, maybe it wasn't doing that well last year. And, you know, you went into this massive strategic planning process. You set goals and you've blown through all your financial uh, goals and your financial expectations. You've, you're standing up in front of your team at the end of the year and you say, well, look at what we've done. Aren't we amazing? We're awesome. Why isn't that ridiculous? Why, why don't we ever stop to think that? Like, why is there such a secular, sacred kind of divide when it comes to our plans? I'm reminded so much of King Nebuchadnezzar's words in Daniel chapter 4, verses 29 through 31 where it says, at the end of 12 months, he was walking on the roof of the royal palace of Babylon. And the king answered and said, is not this great Babylon, which I have built by my mighty power as a royal residence and for glory of my majesty? And while the words were still in the king's mouth, there fell a voice from heaven O King Nebuchadnezzar, to you it is spoken, the kingdom has departed from you. 
And he was driven out from among men. He ate grass like an ox. His hair grew long. His nails were like bird's claws. Why? Because that kind of boasting is evil. When we play, you, we, gotta we have to understand this. You've got to recategorize this. When we place a when we have a misplaced confidence in ourselves and we start to boast in our own abilities, boasting in our own abilities, when we're taking glory onto ourselves and not giving glory to the Lord, it's evil. When we take what God deserves and we place it on ourselves, it's evil. That's very, that's, a, that's very strong language. That's not soft language that James is using. He's, it's very, very, very strong language. We know that Satan is known as the evil one in scriptures. It's like, that's what he's saying. He's saying, listen, that that's what it's like. It's, it's you're, you're taking the glory that's deserving to the Lord and you're placing it on yourself. You have a misplaced confidence in yourself when you're doing that. You're boasting in your own arrogance. That's evil. So if I'm not supposed to have a misplaced confidence in myself, what am I supposed to do? Well, verse 15 answers that question. We're supposed to have a strong conviction in God. Look at what he says in verse 15. Instead, he says, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. If the Lord wills, he says, we will live and do this or that. The Latin phrase for if the Lord wills is Deo Valente. Deo Valente. Hughes reminds us that Many Puritan authors back in the day, when they were, re, re, when they were giving their letters to one another, I know most, most people don't write letters anymore. To, we send texts, right, or emails. So let's just say, let's say that that was their form of texts and emails. They were writing letters to one another where they say, hey, I'm looking forward to see you tomorrow, or we're going to do this and this next month. They would always, many of them would always, at the end of their letter, they would put these two initials, D. V at the bottom of their letters. Deo Valente, God willing. That's what it means. It means God willing. James says to these business people in his church, instead of what you're saying, instead of boasting in your arrogance, instead of boasting in your plans and your energy and your insight and your initiative and your ingenuity, you should be saying Deo Valente. Deo Valente. Do you want to try that? Why don't we try that? Why don't we just try it? Let's turn to your neighbor and say, Deo Valente. Yeah, Deo Valente, right? Right? Latin for God willing, Lord willing, right? God willing, Lord willing. Now listen, listen, this is important. This is important. This is not a tagline. It's not two words that you throw on at the end of a statement just because it's the right thing to say. It's not a tagline. It's a conviction. It's a conviction. Nothing happens. There's no outcome my life in my life but by God. God willing. Ephesians chapter 1 verse 11. Listen to these listen to these beautiful words. It says in him Right? We have attained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. All things, all things, including my salvation, including your salvation, is according to the counsel of God's will. Look at Colossians chapter 1, verses 16 through 22 on the screen for you. It says, talking about Jesus, for by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. Like, for, like they, for by him 
All things were created, right? All things were created through him and for him, he says at the end of verse 16. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body of the church. He's the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent for. In him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. And you who once were alienated and hostile in mind doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. That's Jesus. That's Paul's summary of Jesus. By him, through him, for him, before all things, all things hold together in him, through him. To think that there, the way that Paul describes it, there was a time that you were alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds. That there was a time when you were actually an enemy with the Lord. And some of you might be here tonight and you think, well, I don't, I don't think there's ever been a time when I've been an enemy with the Lord. Well, that, that's not actually not the way the scriptures portray it. Right? We were... Man and woman were created in the garden. It was perfect. And then they, then they committed sin. They made a choice. They decided to act on their own and not follow God's way. And so sin enters into the world. And as Paul reminds us in Romans chapter 5, in that moment, right, sin then becomes something that we all have. We have these natures. We can't on our own naturally Please God. We are like we are separated from God. By nature, we have this sin nature. We you can do good things, but that doesn't mean that those good things are actually directed towards God. God God can't does not receive those because he sees you in sin. But he doesn't leave us there. The story of Scripture does not leave us there. In fact, the story of Scripture, right from the Old Testament right into the New Testament, is a portrayal of his beautiful redemption, where he, and it, it, it rises in the sacrifice of Christ himself on the cross. He comes, he lives, it lives in this world a perfect life. He's a perfect sacrifice. He pays the price with his life. We, we celebrated that tonight through communion. The, his death, his burial, his resurrection. And because of his grace, because of God's grace extended to us in Christ and by faith, everything changes. That's what he says here. We, we're now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present us holy and blameless and above reproach before him. Not because of what we have done, but because of what Christ has done. As much as sin has been imputed on us by Adam, remember that fancy name, imputed, maybe transferred unto us, given to us, so because of Christ's death, because of the grace of God and by faith, we now have his righteousness imputed to us so that when God sees us, he sees us as righteous, even though every single one of us in this room knows that we on our own and our own actions are not righteous. We are not perfect. But God, because of Christ, because of our faith in Christ, declares us to be righteous before him. That's awesome. It's so, so awesome. So, so, so amazing. Jesus says in Matthew chapter 28, verse 18, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Jesus is transcendent. He is above all things. He created it. It's for him. It was by him. It was through him. I mean, I don't know how many other adverbial phrases you can put together. Like, it's just this beautiful, beautiful picture. He's transcendent, but he's also imminent. He has total control. He has total authority. He is above and beyond. And yet at the same time, the same time, the same time, this is amazing. The same time, he's intimately engaged with us. 
When he saves us by grace through faith, grace through faith, he loves us and he's working good in and for us. We have this relationship with him. And I say that after just that brief kind of summary of Jesus Christ, in case there's any question, in case there's any question, Jesus is in control. Deo Valente. Deo Valente. He says, if the Lord lives, if the Lord wills, he says, we will live. Every single breath that I take is from the Lord and it is in God's hands. If the Lord wills, we will do this or we will do that, he says. If the Lord wills, we will do this or that. And if the Lord wills, we will not do this or that. The outcomes of our life are ultimately in the hands of God. Not in my hands, but in God's hands. Now, some of you, when hearing that, you're saying, well, 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 what does that mean then? Does that mean I shouldn't plan? I should never make any plans? I should just kind of chill out and let God just, because he's in control, I just don't have to do anything? Am I supposed to be passive and just let God do things? No, 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 no. As strongly as Scripture teaches us that God is ultimately in control, it also tells us that we have a role to play as well. We're supposed to plan. Actually, do you know that the Scriptures actually teach us that we're supposed to plan? Did you know that? Some of you are going, oh, really? I was kind of hoping I would get a pass on this thing, you know? Well, look at Proverbs 16, 9. It says, the heart of man plans his way, but the Lord establishes his steps. I love these two things. The heart of man plans his way. Oh, well, that's a negative statement. Well, is it? I don't know. Does it actually say it's a negative statement? It just says the heart of man plans his way, but the Lord establishes steps. You know, I actually believe that, we're, that every single one of us as human beings are actually created in the image of God. God was a creator. He's creative. He, he, he actually has plans. It doesn't surprise me then if we are created in the image of God that we would actually act kind of like him. Right? We have that kind of hardwired into us. We don't do it perfectly, right? But we have, but we, it's kind of hardwired into us. Proverbs 6, look at Proverbs 19, 21. Many are the plans in the mind of man, but it is the purpose of the Lord that will stand. And then this one, I love this one. Proverbs 21, 31. The horse is made ready for the day of battle, but the victory belongs to the Lord. Right? Yeah, what are we supposed to do? Do we get the horse ready? We're supposed to get the horse ready. If God's going to bring the victory, should, I, should, I, should we put the saddle on the horse? Should we get it ready for the battle? Yeah, get it ready for the battle. Well, don't forget, though, just because you got the horse ready, the victory is the Lord's. The victory is the Lord's. Evaluate all you want. Plan all you want. Get godly advice. Please do that. Plan, yes. But listen to this. This is important. God is in control. And you and I are not. Our confidence should never be in our own ability. It's always in God's ability. That's why he says, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. And when you believe that, it totally transforms your outlook on your everyday life. Not just Sundays, not just Saturday nights, sorry. But every other day, every other day. You know, I thought about this, I've been thinking about this quite a bit. But just look at this slide where it talks about if, if, if it's true that the Lord is the one who's doing this. If the Lord wills, what does that mean for my life? You see, can you put that up? Yeah, thanks. It gives me, if, if it's true that the Lord is the one who wills it, then I can have confidence that my life is not by chance. It allows me to actually believe that I can actually live in dependence on the Lord. Like, I don't have to live independent. This isn't, life is not fully, ultimately, up to me. It's really, I, my life is in the Lord's hands. I can live in dependence on the Lord. I can actually seek to live by God's revealed will in the scriptures. There's things that scriptures teach us that we, 
that I can live by. Why? Why? Because I know God honors those things. How am I supposed to live? What am I supposed to pursue? Like, I should be actually seeking first the kingdom of God. Why? Because God loves that. I can also pray for his hidden will to be done. Right? You say, well, what's, a hidden, what's God's hidden will? Well, you know those questions you got where you can't really find a chapter and verse to answer? Like, who am I supposed to marry? What school am I supposed to? What house am I supposed to buy? You know those questions that you have? Right? Sometimes God, you know, scriptures don't reveal. There are principles, but it doesn't reveal flat out exactly what we're supposed to do. But I can pray for those. Why? Because, why? Because God's in control. He loves to hear us talk to him about that. We pray to him about those things. We, we ask him for those things. Why? Because it's his will on earth as it is in heaven. I can hold on to my plans with open hands because I don't know the future. I might seek out in a certain direction, but God actually might change my direction. That's okay. It's not a problem with that. Let, the God, let God kind of move you and, and redirect you. I can move forward with confidence in the Lord because he is ultimately in control. I can actually trust God with the results, whatever they are. Now let me just stop there just for a minute and just say this. Not every whatever is pleasant, and some of them are soaked in pain. That doesn't mean that God's not in control. It's sometimes, many times, many times, it's through the valleys of life that God teaches us and helps us the most and draws us closer to himself. I, I, if I had time, I could tell you the story of my brief life and the number of times when it's been in the valleys where God has done the best work in my life. Those times when you're so weak that you have nothing, to, nothing else you can do but just reach out and say, God, please, I need you now. And then I can give glory to God for the outcomes because the victory is the Lord's. There's so much freedom in that. So much freedom in that. Absolutely amazing how much freedom is there in that. Hmm. He ends this section with verse 17, and he says this. He communicates this inescapable conclusion in verse 17. So he says this. So whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him it is sin. So whoever knows the right things to do and fails to do it, for him it is sins. Now, in one short sentence, James tells us something really important. Everything that we've just talked about are not words of advice on how to live a better life. He's saying something really fundamentally true about everything that he has pointed out about God and his control. If you choose to not Deo Valente, and you choose to cling to your own ingenuity and your own ideas and your own plans and place your own confidence in yourself to take the glory uh, on the results that only God deserves to have. You choose to do all of those things. He says it straight out. It's pretty blunt, pretty straightforward. He says what? It is what? Sin. He says, if you know, now, he says, now you know, now you know what the right thing to do is. If you don't do the right thing, then you are choosing to sin. These are not just, this is not just words of advice. This is straight out, in your face, exhortation from James. From the Spirit himself. When we live our lives like we're in control, when we should be trusting in God who is always in control, we are sinning. We've separated ourselves from God, and our sin is keeping us from a holy God. So for all of us, myself included, all of us here tonight, we should be asking ourselves the question, how am I living? Am I living like those business guys in this story? 
Or am I Deo Valente? Because if you're living more like those guys, you need to understand you're sinning and your relationship with the Lord is hampered. Praise the Lord, 1 John chapter 1, verse 9 reminds us, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. We need to surrender ourselves. As you face the challenges and the questions and the stresses and the opportunities and the decisions you have to make, just ask yourself, am I putting my confidence in Christ who's in control of all things? Or am I leaning and on my own understanding. So let's just bow for a word of prayer and think about that just for a moment. And I'm going to lead us in prayer. Father, we're reminded uh, in Job chapter 12 that in your hand is the life of every living thing and the breath of all mankind. Again, in the book of Job, in the 42nd chapter, that reminds us that, that we know that you can do all things and that no purpose of yours can be thwarted. Or like the psalmist who says in Psalm 135, verse 6, whatever the Lord pleases, he does in heaven on earth and in the seas and all the deeps. Deo Valente. Yours, O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the victory and the majesty for all that is in the heavens and the earth is yours. Yours is the kingdom, O Lord, and you are exalted as head above all. Both riches and honor come from you and you rule over all. In your hand are power and might, and in your hand is to make great and to give strength to all. So, Lord, forgive us. Forgive us when we put too much confidence, too much trust in ourselves, too much trust in our plans, when we boast of our own efforts and our own abilities, when we refuse to give you the glory that you deserve because you are in control. Lord, move us to surrender in our hearts. Surrender even our dreams to King Jesus. Lord, may we give our lives, our bodies as a living sacrifice to you because that indeed is our reasonable act of worship because of your mercy, because of your grace. Oh, Lord, to us in Christ Jesus, please do that, Lord. So I just pray that you would help us, Lord. I know, like, this is, this is so practical for my life, Lord. It's so practical for our lives, Lord. Please help us. Help us to live every day to the honor and glory of your Son, Jesus Christ. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.